The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on whether you are listening to the Deadline Report with Ben Vigin of Fresh FM, Top of the South, live or on our podcast. The podcast, we're in the top five most listened to podcasts across the entire Tasman and Melbourne region, uh, where the sun is so good and so warm and so beautiful and so scary when we know what the hell is going on. And, and on that topic today, I'm going to talk a little bit with my friend and colleague, Richard Tippett. Uh, Rich, Richard, how are, you, how are you there? Yep, yep, coming here from oh. uh, Winterless North. Yeah, well, well, very, how, how, how north are you? Um, I'm just north of Auckland, about okay. halfway between uh, Whangarei and Auckland. So yes, you will definitely yeah, be feeling the, the, warm. The, the warm, warm. Uh, look, I'm I'm going to just been doing a show last week and introduce you, and I'm explaining the fact that we've got three triangles in this whole climate change argument. We've got the people that don't want to believe it's happening. We're the people that believe it is actually happening, and they believe that the government's response is fantastic. And then you've got people like me who are pretty certain that climate change is happening, but we're also very concerned because we feel that a lot of the response has been actually hijacked by basically by the junkies in charge of the medicine cabinet. You, where, yeah. where, where, what's your perspective on this? You know, where, where do you sit in this whole spectrum? Well, my my, I certainly not. I don't, certainly don't think that the government response has been anywhere near adequate. Right. Um, well, you know, it's probably a bit late now. We, Twenty years ago, it would have been good if we had of you know started to adapt early on but, well because uh, I, I, I want to raise that point with you because like one of the things I you know I, I approach this topic from the direction of a journalist and that requires me being honest I know I can hear the laughter already um, it, it requires you to be honest and you know the reality is the the math in, uh, that goes into understanding uh, the whole carbon phenomena is way above my pay grade it's you know I, I didn't go to school to do math i went to do social studies and current affairs but the, what i regardless of that situation is i'm able to turn around and, and see when i get two experts that are telling me the same information i generally as a journalist fall back on the task of what is the motivating force for for these particular parties and for me what I see is that what a lot of people aren't getting is it's not that that carbon buildup hasn't been occurring in the past, but it's the rate that it's occurring, our ability to deal with that. That's that's the changing. Am I am I are my darts on the dartboard or am I off the dartboard? Yep, yep, yep. You're right on the money. Um, yeah, the levels of uh, carbon dioxide are increasing far faster than any natural sort of occurrence. Um, the old uh, the old thing that um, a volcano puts out as much uh, greenhouse gases as all of human history. That's just wrong. Well, um, I mean, well explain, ex- explain it, explain it, explain it to us why it's what wrong, and maybe chuck a couple, a couple of sources at us, and and to, and speak to us like we're lay people. Because I think you know that's again is that. I, I mean, you know, you can get into the very the the minutiae, and that'll go over my hair. But where where are the, why are those statistics wrong? Why why are people wrong to think that oh volcanoes do it and it's not killing us? Um, well, just the the sea, volcanoes. Sure, they do put out a lot of greenhouse gases, a lot of CO two, but they don't happen very frequently. Yeah. Um, you know, the 
the biggest eruption of last century was Pinatubo in 1991. Yeah. And that lowered temperatures for a, a year or two because of the cloud coming, stopping the yeah. um, incoming sunlight. But, yeah, uh, and, and that's where we get to the sole issue of you get a volcano doing that, but there's nothing else happening on the planet and there's no other contributing. It, it has time to process it all. But when you've got nonstop industry just pumping in and pumping in and out, it's never, get, it's never getting a chance to recover, is it? That's right. That's right. And the, the other side of the coin is how much carbon are we actually sequestering? Mm. Whereas a hundred years ago there was lots of trees around and you know lots of forest. You think about New Zealand two hundred years ago there was there was no no cows in New Zealand two hundred years ago. Well, let's was, let's uh, let's leave let's old growth forest largely. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's leave the cows out of it for a sec- although I do want to come back to the cows, but <laughs> not poor yeah. cows. Um, what what gets me is that I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and his son, and he was very proud of the fact that his son was going to go out and get a job in the forestry, uh, not in the forestry, he was getting a job to go out and plant trees uh, for, you know, their carbon net. And I said, oh, of course, you know, what, you know, what, what kind of trees are they going to be? I said, you know, they're totrid or something, you know, that's got a good, pretty good microbiology back in the soil. And they're all pines radiators. So isn't that, again, where we're part of the problem we run into? It's like suddenly we get these responses, but when you actually look what happens is we only get a third of what's actually required, and, and you find that there's always some other part in it which is not so ecologically friendly as they're making out. Yeah, yep, totally. Uh, generally, the whole um, planting planting forests to mitigate emissions is it's a bit of a scam. It's a bit of uh, it's to say, well, look, we're doing something. Um, but it's not enough, and it runs into all the same problems as any monoculture does. Um, it's not sort of... Uh, we've got a diverse environment, so one tree's not really going to yeah. work at all, um, and uh, they're only short-term, so once those forests are cut down, all the carbon's released again, and yeah. uh, the land's worse off for it. Yeah, so in actual fact, it's, a, it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, yeah. And... Really, I think. So, so what about the, what about what about this particular? Because I met you literally. I was sort of looking at my phone for a couple of questions I wanted, and this one popped up. And, and one of the the, the the allegations has been made, and it's actually made on the. It was made on the South Island Independence page, where it seems like that the focus is to completely deny climate change whatsoever. And there is some good questions in there, but it's it's like everything is only in the design designed to make people feel confused and ripped off. But the point that they put there, they, they came up there on this page was a uh, an article which was saying that it's now been claimed that your homegrown vegetables cook, consume five touches, and that's your homegrown, you know, the stuff you're growing yourself consumes five times the amount of carbon than if it was grown in a rural agricultural industrial farming setting. I mean, and that makes people angry because they feel like they've been, it's actually just been designed to, to help accentuate a, mon- a monopoly of, of uh, industrial um, agriculture, which is, you know, in terms of, of pesticide, is no one's friend at all. That's right. That's right. And um, I think ultimately all these sort of, you know, feeling bad about your home veggie garden is, uh, it's only, it's not even a drop in the bucket when you compare it to, you know, industrial emissions, yeah. you know, Huntley Power Station, um, you know, things like that. It's like, well, it's a lot of veggie gardens when you're burning burning coal at Huntley Power Station. Yeah, 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 which is kind of, again, it's, it's this whole, 
I mean, Rowan Atkins, uh, and I actually, I'll be honest, I haven't read the article. It is on my homework or list to do, but it's Rowan Atkins is doing his article about why he's fallen out of love with his electric vehicle. And, and, and some of the points I do pick up on having sped red was the situation where, like, he's using electrical energy, but that energy is coming from a power plant that's coal fired. And again, yep. so people sit there go, well, feeling like, you know, I, I say to my Alexa Forbes, who's a, a councillor in, in central Otago, very much a big supporter of the Green. I'm going, yeah, but you're supporting in terms of your love of electric is supporting an energy network, which is 51% controlled by foreign offshore companies who really want to divert that energy to industrial users. And they don't give a damn about our own domestic needs. Very true. Very true. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, uh, but... I, I I do I quite like electric cars, but purely for the fact that it's taking income away from the fossil fuel industry, who I see have been um, standing in the way of any sort of meaningful action on climate change. To put the pot, the pot. Yeah, it does. A, it's mm. No silver bullet, and it's not gonna it's not gonna turn things around. But the um, the, 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 the problem is anything it'll accelerate it. One of the, one of the things I've become very aware of is. Um, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with, uh, there's an organ, a lobby uh, movement out there called the Atlas Network, and it's largely made up of the fossil fuel industry and the mining industry, and, yep. you know, they're, they're, they're largely, uh, it's called the Atlas Network. But the, po- yeah, the point yeah, is, co- sorry? Yeah, David and Charles Koch are the, are the main Yes, founders. yeah, exactly, the, 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 the Koch brothers, and I've got some very nasty things about them, but I'm not allowed to because it's only in our 13 programme. Um, <laughs> but, like, that, that's that's exactly what I'm turning around, where you, you're finding that these guys are on one level, and same with people like BlackRock, because they've got a finger in the, in the electric, you know, um, rare sustainable resources market, which to me is like one fine out, resource and then they've also got a you know a finger in the fossil fuels and it seems like they're sort of playing both sides off against each other of course of course like yeah. it's the same with the oil industry so when when there's a spill they allocate millions of dollars to spill remediation and guess who owns all the spill remediation companies the bp w- yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. All the usual suspects so they they make they make a killing on both ends and you know well, that, that, that's their minimum. They take the money, they walk away, and problem solved. Well, that that that's the issue. Also, when you look at things like, um, you know, uh, COP twenty nine, which was largely dominated by fossil fuel lobby, this this last COP twenty nine, and things like yeah. the you know the sustainability um, seventy points of sustainability for the United Nations, and a lot of the game, the sort of outright people go, oh, it's a communist conspiracy, and I'm going, I I wish you know what I'm all concerned about is the fact that the climate response when you look. Looking at the people on the board, it's you know it's got your Coke brothers here, you got your Coca Cola, you got your Bayer Corp, you got your BP, you got your Chevron. So again, it's a situation of of the uh, the junkies hijacking the medicine cabinet and, and diverting the policy, so it's making sure their ability to make profits are, are, are okay, while they shove that cost onto people aren't necessarily the big offenders. Exactly, and uh, there's, there's a great article on uh, on Vox. Vox. Yep. Um, and it says it's why why Exxon wants you to be concerned about your personal climate footprint. Yeah. And uh, it's it was a thing that was I think it was possibly in the early two thousand something like that where they they sort of um, invented the concept of a personal carbon footprint to make us feel bad and draw attention away from their huge amount huge you know massive 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that that goes to the whole... I mean, that, that the issue, that sounds very similar to the role that Enron paid in, in creating a weathers derivatives market, which was what you're looking at is corporations that were largely tied up with the Chicago School of Economics and the Chicago Exchange. So, you know, they, they basically created a derivatives market, which at the end of the day, is it's... It isn't going to save a single polar bear, as far as I can make out, but it is going to make some rep, you know, rich fat cats even richer and fatter. Yep, that sure will. Okay, look, I know, I know, you've got a very grim outlook. You're not, you know, friends don't go around calling you Captain Giggles for out for out of reason. But is there anything that we can do? I mean, like, okay, magical one time. What, what if there was any solution? Would you believe is is the way out of this? Well, just be uh, you. I give you permission to have you be an optimist just this once. Yeah, Yeah. and and I think ultimately, if you if you want to do something for the environment, it's probably less. I often think about when I'm going out. I plant trees for a living. I go out and I plant trees. I drive my truck out to plant trees, and I wonder. So, are these trees actually going to absorb the carbon emissions of my truck driving to site? Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We could let weeds grow. Weeds are the fastest, hardiest plants. They're, they'll be sucking down a lot of carbon. Well, they can probably survive with enhanced carbon dioxide or the, the hotter temperatures associated with carbon dioxide. Well, that, that's uh, interesting. You, 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 I wonder about that because uh, the example we got out of Chernobyl, uh, and, and it's. <clears throat> I'm going to quantify this. The example we got out of Chernobyl was of um, some very interesting evolutions and very some rapid revolutions, which largely, on in the short term, contained the the damage done by radioactive material. I quali- I want to quantify that because we still don't know what the long term outcome was. But the point is, is that nature responded in ways that a lot of people never expected, never thought possible. Yeah, um, Chernobyl's an interesting one. Um, from It's my understanding uh, that the large mammals are actually doing surprisingly well. They've got um, a, a thing called the Pravelsky's horse, which is one of the early original horses, mm. one of the wild-type horses. And uh, they've got a population there that's doing fairly well. Yeah, well, it's... Um, yeah. What I, what I have heard is that insect life and bird life are really suffering. Um, it's a, it's a sink for yep. insect and bird life. Well, that, that's what I that's what I understood. So the long term was, if you looked at them as the building block, they are actually in trouble, which means that further down the road, then all everything else is going to be in trouble. But look, I want to I want to return to the issue of climate change, and I want I want you to have a little bit of a think uh, at this point uh, about whether what what are what are our solutions and what is really. If you can't come up with, with a solution, then I want you to paint us the grimmest image you can about what we can expect life to be like on this planet in 20 years if we don't figure out how to get a proper ecological response as opposed to this image-lauded fiasco we've, we've got so far. So I'm just going to take a little bit of a break, Richard. Um, okay. and, and for your, your point, just take hold on the phone. The engineer will play around. But for the rest of us, we're going to take uh, – do, do you have any songs you've got up your, up your sleeve? I don't know. How about sixteen tons by Annie Ford? That sounds wonderfully g- g- gas guzzling, depressing. So let's go for the big, big weight that's descending upon us, and we'll take a little yeah. bit of a break. This is the deadline report with Ben Virgin Investigates, and my special guest today is Richard Tippett. 
Some people say a man is made out of mud A poor man's made out of muscle and blood Muscle and blood and skin and bones A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons What do you get? Another day older and deeper in depth St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine I loaded 16 tons a number nine coal And the straw boss said, well, to bless my soul You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning, it was drizzling rain Fighting and trouble are my middle name I was raised in the cane break by an old mama line Can't no high-toned woman make me walk the line You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store You see me coming, better step aside A lot of men didn't, a lot of men died One fist of iron, the other of steel If the right one don't get you, then the left one will You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I To the company store. Good morning, good afternoon. You're on the Deadline Report with Richard Tippett, and we're talking about climate change. Um, and I'm just, I've just asked Richard before the break to say, look, if you can't come up with a solution, if you, if you, you know, can't rack your brain and think about what we can actually do to willfully really challenge the, where we are. Paint us a grim image about where we're at, and um, maybe let's Richard population is, is that part of the solution? Well, the thing is, we can we the earth can sustain a lot of simple farmers that just have a simple life and you know do their thing. Yeah, we can't sustain a lot of people going to space for fun. Yeah. And, and I, I get, I get that point from from what I've said previously when I talked about the show introdu- introducing it, was the world stuck in this concept of Malthusian economics, which is Thomas Malthusian was an 18th century economist who believed that there were too many people populating the world and they were outstripping the resources. But I would argue that actually, if we probably sort of you know started eating the rich to begin with, that actually that would probably address the issue of resource consumption drastically. 
Yeah, and it might help with world hunger too. Yeah, <laughs> have you have your Bill Gates McGates burger today? Just one, I think. <laughs> I think that would scare the hell out of them. I'd sign up for that. Yeah, but I mean, to to me, this is this is the issue. I when I look at, you know, I find I feel like I'm fighting a one man war some some days between the people that have woken up and they think that they're awoke, and then the people that are have suddenly pinched their skins and say they're, they're awake. And I look at the woke and I look at their awake and I see two cults made up of extremist reactionaries that are largely driven by lobby groups that are basically grifters by heart. And it's really, it's, it's kind of like watching two prongs on a barbecue fork and we're the sausage. Yeah, well, it, it sort of it reminds me a little bit of what I was saying before about the cleanup efforts with the oil yeah, you know they they own both parties. They, uh, you know, and they they uh, deliberately channeling the um, environmental movement in directions that benefit them. Or yeah, you know. well, this is the thing. Uh, like John John Pilcher was saying, uh, you know, before his death, it's and he say like, you know, there's there's no place for journalism and newspapers like John Pilcher and, and Seymour Hirsch. And, and the point is that what you start to realise is that our journalism is becoming very a part is well it's becoming very controlled and reality is that on certain narratives there seems to be on identity politics people can get very passionate and have an argument about things that don't really matter that much but when it comes down to the issues of of the economy and on things like foreign policy and fighting wars it strikes me as that 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 whole idea of the left wing and the right wing is it's 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 a it's a it's a fraud and they're really you've got two groups of the same coin that are pro-corporate and the pro pro this whole idea of just continuing to make consume resources and feed this beast that by its nature must need more and more every year even though it's physically impossible to meet that growth uh, yep that's right and the atlas group has uh, been instrumental in in uh, inflaming those natural divisions between yeah. us, whether yep. it be um, you know race issues or you know um, you know vegetarianism or um, you know LGBTQ. Oh, totally. But uh, you know, even, even look at New Zealand. Like you know, we've got our alternative media, and they're all very good. They want to tell you about Donald Trump, and they want to tell you about the Rothschilds. I can't remember the last time anybody talked about the Todd family, who are probably one of the biggest magnets in energy consumption and, and you know, uh, managing, selling, buying. They're, the, they're our Rockefellers. Nobody in the mainstream or alternative media talks about these people, and yet they basically single-handedly set energy policy for the whole country, whether it's Labour or National. Yep, yep. that's true. And, uh, you know, you've got, to be, you've got to be pretty brave to stand up to these people, you know, like... There's been certain people in the past that have been made examples of, you know. Oh, well, totally. But even, I mean, you know, what, I, what I'm a bit interested in, I think maybe we can finish this up on this one, is that um, the current circumstances with the Green Party has finally seen James Shaw, the, you know, a former public relations spin doctor for Bayham, Bayer, and I go, yeah. FFS, He's finally leaving the Green parties, and I, for the first time, feel like, oh, thank God, why did that guy even... But I'm noticing that the, there is this change happening within the Greens, and I'm wondering, with Chloe Swarbrick, will we get a Green Party that goes back to dealing with ecological issues and deals to the issues of, hey, this is where we're at, and, and it's not just a 
middle class problem, it's everybody's problem, or are we going to end up with a Green Party that continues to get bogged down in identity politics so it makes no difference on, on, on it's not getting anywhere on, on, on the ecological front? Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, well, I think one of the one of the big issues is, is that, you know, like, if he actually came out and said, well, this is actually really what we need to do, everybody would be like, well, that sounds a bit radical, mate. Yeah. You know, but we need radical. We're at the point now where, you know, just gradual incremental change is not going to cut it. But the, th- the difference is, is that when you look at the, let's compare James Shaw to Rod Donald, you know, Rod Donald goes to Parliament. He's got his rainbow braces on. He's got his possum first seat warmer. And, you know, even Nandor, I'm, I'm not actually that big fan of Nandor, but like the early Greens, he'd go in there in his hemp suit. And then I look at James Shaw and I go, oh, of all the ministers out there, this guy actually has the biggest carbon footprint. And why? Because he's going to fly all the way to Davos to hang out with the people that talk about climate change while they're eating $45 hot dogs and eating 10000 or staying in $10,000 night hotels because he can't figure out how to use Skype. And, exactly. It's it's absolute madness. It, well, it just—it just—it's like—it's like how. What better way to destroy any credibility in your party? I mean, the, 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 this is not a party that walks its talk anymore. And I think you know we, we really need a. We need we need a new green we need a new green movement and we need a green movement that isn't full of uh, people that feel that they can actually have tiny houses while their houses are chock full of consumer goods, um, and the green party that is more interested in, in unicorns and fluff ideas than actually making sure that they're listening to that everybody's out there and they're listening to the people at a grassroots level. Yeah, yeah, I think I think. Um slightly an aside, but uh, the smoking taxes are, I think, a good example of the division that's being caused, you know, like, you know, essentially you're punishing, you know, poor and middle class people when they smoke, it doesn't matter to the rich because they can afford the taxes, but those poor and middle class people, okay, they want to have a smoke after work, but they're, uh, you know, they're taxed up the wazoo. Oh, totally. Someone who's pouring out, you know, tons of carbon dioxide or polluting water or whatever... You know they get rich. Well, it's it's just like even looking at the entire concept where we, you know we've got a Labour Party that talks all about the green, you know, the, the carbons and it being part of all this policy. It's all you know fixed into this global model, while at the same time they're hosting these like America's Cup yachts and making it available for billionaires to come in and have luxury. You know, help build these. Pol- I mean, you look at the carbon footprint of just one of Bill Gates's mansions. Not that's not including the one that he's got here in Nelson, but yeah. he's got eleven. That we know about, you know, and this guy wants to tell me about carbon footprint. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you have another song you want to go out with today? I do. I do quite like the old Matchbox Twenty. Let's see how far we've come. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, well let's go with that then. Now, I just, I mean, one of the things that Sunny's we've done this can show completely backwards to front today is that. You know, I, I normally come and I sort of do a big bio piece about who the person I'm speaking to, but you know, I really just brought you in because I know that you're. This is a subject that you're passionate about, and you were not speaking to us like your Richard Tippett, the world expert. But just tell people a little bit, just as we, we, we before I wrap this up, tell them a little bit about what you actually do for live livelihood, and you know, just a little bit about how you walk your talk as an individual. Yeah. So. Uh... Most of my experience has been with plants. I've worked with growing, growing plants and planting plants and doing ecological work for most of my life. Um, I did a degree at Massey University in earth sciences. Yep. 
and uh, I've just always been interested in geography. I, like, I enjoy learning and uh, and things like that. And you know, once once it started to dawn on me the situation um, that we were in, uh, I just started to learn a lot more. I joined some groups that have been that have got some really really intelligent people with great data and things that uh, understand their system very well. And uh, I think ultimately it, it actually is a lot more simple than people would like to think. Um, yeah, I think that the how complicated it is has actually been pushed by the fossil fuel industry yeah. to uh, generate uh, confusion and say, well, oh, well, maybe they're all wrong. Yeah, but, well, that's, that's uh, what I feel too. The behind it is really quite simple. And that that's actually that sums up you know they've created a reign of of chaos and confusion, um, as they say in the Spanish Spanish Foreign Legion, death to intelligence. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show with you today. Um, for just a bit of housekeeping, for anybody that wants to you know follow our links and see what other stories I put out, come to my monthly newsletter, which is the shipping news hosted on the Dyslexic Detective, care of postmanproductions.com. All these things that we do to try and get our footprint found. As we have actually been busily chomped up by Google but if you do come and listen to the podcast on Fresh FM we are one of the top five listen to shows on Fresh FM and this is the Deadline Report Ben Virgin Investigates catch you next weekend Oh,
The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.